When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Outkick 360 back for the final hour of the week, which means it's the Tennessee Power Hour with VolQuest.com. The VolQuest Power Hour. Brent Hubbs joins us alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Brent Hubbs in Knoxville. Austin Price rejoins the show next week. Brent, camp is just around the corner. Time to, to gear up for some football. Contract extension season is going on. SEC Media Days. A busy time in Knoxville for you and the website. Well, it is. I mean, Danny White pulled an Oprah and said, you get a contract, you get a contract, you get a contract, everybody gets a contract and, uh, and announcing that this week. And, and I think that's kind of Danny White's MO and how he's going to go about it. I, I don't think he's going to do a lot of individual announcements. He wanted to wait and announce the entire offensive coaching staff at one time and the defensive staff at one time. So I, I think that's kind of the way he wants to do the news cycle. So uh, the big news out of that obviously was completion of the deal for Tony Vitello. Uh, to remain as Tennessee's baseball coach, which he was going to be there anyway, but they get a deal in place where uh, he's obviously going to be paid handsomely. The question now is what happens with renovations to Lindsey Nelson Stadium? When do they get going? Where's the plan for that? We'll have to see moving forward. And then, um, as you mentioned, camp's uh, less than about two and a half weeks away from now, and, and we get started in Knoxville and start to maybe find some answers to a football team that's got a lot of questions. We're going to be talking a lot of football now, gearing up for the season, uh, Brent, and that's going to be more and more. We'll talk a lot about that today, but I want to hit on this Vitello contract extension right now. Uh, $1.5 million, plus he's going to make a lot more with an endorsement deal. We were asking the question, what does he deserve to make? What should he make? What should Tennessee be investing in baseball? And it seems to me they gave Tony Vitello everything he wanted and then some. Uh, with this contract. Did, did any part of this surprise you? And did you think in the back of your mind uh, with any of this, is this really worth it for Tennessee? Could, could Tennessee have gotten a better deal in all of this with Tony Vitello? Well, I mean, could they have tried to lowball him since he didn't get the LSU job? Um, maybe. I mean, that, that, that number was thrown to Tony Vitello uh, many weeks ago. He, he's had that that salary laying on his desk for a while. The, the biggest thing Tony Vitello wanted, um, in addition to any of that, was he wanted to make sure that his staff was taken care of. So you saw the note in there about uh, how much money he had in his salary pool for his coaching staff to make sure that they were taken care of. I, I think the biggest thing now, and, and listen, I, everybody wants to know about stadium, stadium. If you're spending this much money for your base, for your baseball coach, you're clearly saying we're, we're invested in baseball to the point that we're, we're going to make money in baseball. We, we want baseball to be profitable as it is some other places. To do that, two things have to happen. One, you got to win, and, and Tennessee obviously believes they can with Tony Vitello. The second thing you have to do is you've got to fix your facility. Now, if, if you're going to commit $1.5 million to a baseball coach, you got to give him a place to play in that you can make money out of, right? I mean, you got to get premium seating in there. you got to get those things done. So – 
there's no question there's a commitment to baseball. I think Danny White understands baseball, having done the stadium project at Ole Miss. Uh, Tennessee's clearly invested in it. Now to make it work financially and make it somewhat profitable, you've you got to go fix your stadium where you can maximize some dollars that way. Are you surprised there was no contractual tie-in to that stuff? No, no dates, uh, no, no details of facility upgrades and stuff like that and conversations about this. I think you guys were kind of leaning towards the idea that they, there would be uh, something on paper. Well, th- there, was a, there was a thought that there was going to be something about a dollar figure financial commitment into a stadium. I, I think in terms of putting a start date, that was floated out there, Paul. But once you started talking to people, you realize that became harder and harder to do. And I think I, I, think I mentioned this maybe last week or the week before. You got to go through the building commission in the state. How are you going to pay for it? Are you doing a bond issue? That's something else you got to run through committee in the state. You got to get designs in place. Um, you got to bid out the, the architect for the design. Then you got to bid out the contractor, uh, whoever you're going to pick to do the project whenever you get to that point. So to sit here and say, okay, in four months we're going to have all this done, it's probably not realistic. To, to put a hard date on it, it's probably not realistic. So that's why you didn't see. Uh, the hard date being presented out there and, and why it didn't go from there. In terms of the dollar figure, I don't think they capped that because they're still raising funds for that. And B, you don't know what the design's going to look like. I mean, what if you say, okay, we're going to spend $20 million in renovations and then you do a design and it comes back and it's $30 million. Well, okay, what are you going to do with the contract? How are you going to manage all those things? So I think Tony Vitello just said, you know what? That, that there's way too much variables there. Tennessee agreed. I think they decided to put that to the side. Um, but again, if you're going to spend this much in your baseball coach and you plan on investing and keeping him for a while, you're going to have to do something for the facility. Danny White and Dante Plowman and Chancellor are on record as saying they're going to invest in the facility. So um, now it's a matter of designing that and getting that plan in place moving forward. Brent, I, I'm half-joking when I ask this question, but if you're a coach and you're not Josh Heupel and you did not receive an extension this week, are you worried? Um, I think, yeah. I mean, I think, you're, I think you know you've got to, you know, to step up and, and Im, improve your game. I mean, your, your teams have to perform better. Um, now, I, I don't, I've not looked at everybody's contract to see exactly where everybody is. Right. Um, you know, obviously they made a change at the, at the women's golf coach. So you got a new contract there. Um, you know, but yeah, I mean, I, I think if you did not get one, you know, then I think you're saying, you know what, I, I probably ought to step up my game because whether, you know, whether he grouped me in with everybody else or not, I didn't get one, which means, you know, I'm on alert, so to speak. And, and I've got to, my team's got to improve my programs got to improve because we have not performed well enough to justify a raise or to justify an extension. So Rick Barnes' contract was completed in the middle of June, you guys reported. Uh, Kelly Harper, May 10th. It's pretty good work by Danny White and these coaches and the people that know about them to keep them quiet that long. You've got, you're a hell of a reporter. You've got a hell of a reporting staff. Uh, and you guys didn't find out about them. What's that say about Danny White's ability to keep things uh Close, close to the vest, and how scary is that in terms of being somebody that wants to, to get info? Well, I, I mean, I don't know that it's – I mean, I think that for all of us in the business uh, of journalism, it, it's a notification to us that we need to be digging harder, okay? And, and, and there's ways that 
if I would have done my job better, I could have found out about Kelly Harper's situation, you know, her contract deal much earlier in the process. Um, could have found out about Rick Barnes as, as well. I mean, I think for the last, you know, all eyes have been on Tony Vitello for the last six, eight weeks. That's kind of where the focus has been. And, um, I, you know, moving forward, it'll be, it'll be harder for Danny White to, to drop a, a five o'clock news dump that he's extended the contracts of that many coaches and, 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 and agreed to terms with those people that long ago without somebody finding out. So, um, you know, it's just a reminder. I mean, I didn't realize that he was going to do them all at one time, you know, and never gone through that before, uh, to know that he would do that. So, um, you know, you, you adjust and you adjust to covering new people. That's not a knock on Danny White. He can do business. However, he, he wants to do business. Uh, moving forward as a reporter, uh, you know, I've got to do a better job of digging on on those things uh, in the off season than what I did. I, I didn't go looking for a Rick Barnes or, or Kelly Harper contract in, in the last few weeks and probably should have. Brent, I think we all know the deal with Rick Barnes and the state of the basketball program. And it, this, The length of this deal and his age at least feels like Rick Barnes wants to get to the end of this contract and then maybe retire uh, as Tennessee's coach, whether that's true or not. But I want to ask you specifically about Kelly Harper and her contract extension. Only two years on the job. Uh, what do you make of that decision to extend her contract? What do you think about the trajectory of Lady Vols basketball so far under Kelly Harper and what they're, they're either doing or they haven't done on the recruiting trail? Well, I, I, think, I think clearly her team was better in year two than they were in year one. Um, you know, they, they showed some development. They showed some improvements. Um, you know, in the way that they played, they've obviously got to do some things better. I mean, they've had turnover issues since for the last two years. They've got to take care of the basketball better if you're talking about specific on the court things. I think from a recruiting standpoint, um, you know, I don't follow it as, as closely as I do other sports, but I think she's recruited, you know, solidly and, and, and is building a team. And um, I think that Danny White feels like, you know, she's a good fit. She represents you know, uh, Tennessee well, and, and that's a program that, that is improving. Um, now, you, you know, the, the difference is improving in that program is, is sometimes not good enough because of the history and the tradition of that program, okay? I mean, they're clearly chasing some teams, and they have a ways to go to catch some of those teams. But, uh, you know, Danny White, after watching them some, you know, this, you know, once he got on the job in January, watching them and talking to, to Kelly Harper, I think you feel like, they were moving in the right direction, likes the direction they were going. So he decided to give her a, a small raise, uh, you know, and extend out the contract a couple of years. So the football roster is set. We've got big recruiting news to get to. And we've got someone hitting up Outkick360 on Twitter wanting to know about a third uniform. Everyone's favorite topic, <laughs> football uniforms. We've got a lot to get to with Brent Hubbs when we come back. Brent Hubbs joins us each and every Friday Normally with Austin Price, Austin joins us again next week. It is the VolQuest Power Hour on Outkick 360. Hang with us. Outkick 360 and the Tennessee Power Hour with VolQuest.com and Brent Hubbs. He joins us each and every Friday. You can join in on the conversation through the YouTube chat and on Twitter. Just follow the show at Outkick 360. So, Brent, I want to start with uh, the NCAA investigation. And uh, something that you guys, I know, I know you weren't with us last week, but referenced in uh, the War Room a week ago about the possibility of Tennessee not turning in a bowl ban as, as part of this. And it's the first time I had read that anywhere 
Where do we stand right now in the investigation? How much money do they continue to pay the law firm? Are you seeing the end in sight now with some of this, at least on Tennessee's end? From the end in sight standpoint, um, in the last couple of uh, invoices from the legal firm, they have not traveled. Um, means they're doing work in their office. Uh, the, the number dollar figure has gone down. Obviously, they could do some Zoom calls, but early on in this process, they were traveling to Knoxville a great deal. They were traveling around to go interview people. That seems to have tapered off, which would lend me to think they're moving towards a conclusion to this. Um, I, I think there's a possibility that Tennessee could be in a, a situation where they're self-reporting something um, in, in the next eight weeks or so, you know, in, in late August, first September, maybe. I, I don't know that, but I think that is a remote possibility. That doesn't mean it's going to be resolved, but they could self-report something. Uh, I think that the whole bowl ban, um, you know, how much punishment you're going to give yourself is a really fascinating question and, and, a, and a fascinating discussion and decision by the Tennessee brass when it comes to that point. Um, you've obviously had some comments from the NCAA um, that, that sort of says, you know, decentralizing, whatever that means. Um, you, you've seen them lose kind of their teeth in some of the court rulings. So, yes, they're still the governing body, and, and you can't tie the investigation into, well, it's now legal to do that or whatever the case may be with name, image, likeness. But, but how much juice does the NCAA have? Okay, and if you're Tennessee and you've cooperated, quite frankly, more than any school has in the last several years, to say the least. Okay, the NCAA has been there step in toe um, with, with everything you've done, been on the Zoom interviews, traveled with you at times, you've met with them. All of those things have taken place. So they have been in the loop the whole way through. Do you take a lighter punishment? Do you self-report less? with the thought process of, hey, you better treat us kindly because we, we, we treated you kindly. We, we included you in everything. Because let's face it, we've talked about this before. There are some schools around the country that haven't included the NCAA, and they've not been punished yet. And, and some of this stuff happened you know, years ago, and there's clear, hard evidence on tape of things happening, and there's been no punishment there. So if you're Tennessee, do you hammer yourself when you look out there and say, well, Arizona didn't really cooperate in basketball. They've not been punished. Kansas has done whatever Kansas has done, and Bill Self got a lifetime contract out of it. We all know the situation with LSU and Will Wade and what he was on tape uh, saying and what there's been document there. Is the Louisville case resolved yet from when Rick Pitino was coaching there? It, it took North Carolina years to get through an academic fraud case, and they were never really punished. So if you're Tennessee, do you sit there and go, hey, let's hammer ourselves, you know, and fall at the feet, you know, fall at the mercy or fall on the sword for ourselves, if you will, to the NCAA when you look around and nobody else is really getting punished. So I think that's the interesting decision Danny White and the brass at Tennessee uh, have to make here when it comes time to self-reporting something. Is there a possibility they say, hey, we're trying we're going to not do a bowl ban? I mean, yeah, Maybe. Um, but, but I don't know how aggressive Tennessee is going to be or not going to be when it comes to self-reporting time. And, and, and furthermore, on that, Brent, uh, on just the decision on what you self-report and what you, how you discipline yourself if you're Tennessee, and reading Mark Emmert's quotes where he says that 
they're going to have a minimum. He, he, it should be a bare minimum role for the NCAA moving forward uh, for, for regulations and constraints put on players. Uh, and that there will be a more uh, f- focus on universities and conferences. I think I would go to the SEC and, and ask them their thoughts on the, whatever punishment I'm considering if I'm Tennessee. Because it sounds like it's going to be up to the conference to deliver punishments more so than the NCAA moving forward. And you, if, I would lean on the bare minimum punishment if I'm Tennessee, but I also want to make sure that I'm staying in the same track as what the SEC is about to go down. Yeah, and, and the question is, what is the SEC going to go down? Okay, I mean, right. th- this is a conference that um, <laughs> I guess they police themselves to some degree in, in recruiting, um, and, but I don't know how much, you know, there is of guys turning everybody else in, you know? I mean, they, they kind of, you, I'll stay in my lane, you stay in your lane, and, and we'll go recruit, and we'll go do, you know, go do whatever we need to do, so to speak. Uh, so, uh, you know, I don't know how the, the commissioner is going to step in. I mean, this is the same commissioner who a year ago said, you know what, I don't want to be ruling on individual cases of immediate eligibility. You guys need to come up with a rule. It's your conference, coaches, ADs, presidents. You guys decide whether you're going to allow the one-time transfer rule. It's not mine to make. So what kind of governing body is the league going to put in to do an investigation or to hand out punishment? Type thing. I, I don't. I don't know. Um, I, I think it's. I think it's an interesting direction college athletics is going in general, and um, it's hard to sit here and say, boy, Tennessee should really hammer themselves, um, given those comments, given what we've seen from previous investigations. On the flip side of that, Tennessee said at a press conference the J, the day Jeremy Pruitt was fired, and the chancellor talked about the dozens of. Allegate, you know, wrongdoings and, and the the effort that was gone to to cover up those wrongdoings. I mean, she kind of self-incriminated themselves to a large degree in that press conference. So I think it's going to be a fascinating decision to see what Tennessee's brass elects to do. Let's stick with Mark Emmert for a second. It came out yesterday in a, in a phone call he had with a small group of reporters. He wants a thorough rethinking of the NCAA structure and governance with, like you were talking about, more power handed down to the conferences on the heels of the Alston ruling, NIL, et cetera. That's from Dan Wolken, who is one of those reporters on the conference. How You find that as laughable as I do? Like, he's got no choice at this point but to want that. That's not what he wants. That's what he's left with. Yeah, I mean, you know, they've, they've, every ruling has gone against them from a power standpoint um, and, and has, has stripped them of – of their of their power and quite frankly they do not have the manpower and have not had the manpower to to execute investigations and and to do things uh, in, a, in a proper time frame and um you know conferences have kind of passed them by to be honest with you now i i think putting the power in the hands of those conferences is going to be really interesting because now you know how far do you take that how far do you take those rules? Is one conference going to let guys or, or let schools do something and, and another conference says no, and, and then you get into this unlevel playing field? I mean, the whole concept of the NCAA was to level the playing field across the board from coast to coast at the Division One level. If you're going to take that out of their hands, uh, th- that's, that's going to make for some really interesting decisions. You know, I mean, some conferences uh, – look, let, let's – 
let's just look at what happened last year. Some conferences said, you know what, we're playing. Regardless of the COVID deal, we're finding a way to play because, by God, we need to play football, right? Some other conferences said, no, nah, we're not going to play. Then they got pressured into playing. And then some other conferences said, no, we're definitely not going to play. We cancel our season and a whole not. I mean, so how are you going to – there is not going to be anything across the board. It's going to create further separation, and it probably create – I don't know what's going to happen, you know, with the NCAA lo- losing uh, ground the way they are. But um, level playing fields across from coast to coast seems like it's going to be pretty unattainable moving forward if that's what happens. Brent, Tennessee's official fall roster came out this week, and whenever there's a big coaching change, there's going to be some attrition. Some places worse than others. Tennessee had a lot of attrition. I mean, if you look around college football, I think they had more than, than anyone else in college football. When that roster came out and you started looking at it in completion for this fall, was there a specific position group where you thought, boy, this is really going to be a bare-bones operation and, and maybe is something that you can't even fix this season or come close to even putting a Band-Aid on it and it's going to be a real problem for Tennessee. Did anything really jump out to you when you looked at that roster? Well, I, I don't know that anything jumped out in terms of raw numbers. I think when you look at it, you, you looked at that roster and you thought, man, Tennessee's transfers that they have taken, not the ones they've lost, but the guys they have taken, they got a hit. You know, I mean, Mitchell at linebacker, he's got to be able to help them right out of the gate. Um, R.J. Terry, the transfer from Kansas, needs to be able to help them on the offensive line quickly uh, they're going to need some depth in the secondary so um, you know a couple of these corners need to fit need to hit and, and fit and so I think that was the biggest thing that jumped out to me was yeah they're, they're thin in numbers um, but but not really a surprise to anything but if you look at it and say well if they're going to be any good at linebacker those transfers have to work you know and they need some young kids to the other thing is they need some young kids to step in and be a factor Okay, I mean that that's the other thing that that needs to happen uh, for for this team. But um, it was, I mean, if you follow it every day, that the roster wasn't a huge surprise. Um, you know, Cayman Marley starting on defense might have been a little bit of a surprise. Some thought maybe offense, but given where Tennessee's at defensively, starting him out on defense make, makes the most sense. The McNeil kid's going to start out on defense. He wants to start on defense. I think ultimately he'll be an offensive lineman, but. You know, Tennessee's got some numbers issues along the defensive front, so take a look at him there and and, and then decide accordingly uh, whether or not he's going to be an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman down, you know, for the rest of his career. So Josh Heupel selects uh, Alante Taylor on defense, Bayless Jones Jr. on offense as his representatives to take down to Hoover for SEC Media Days. Brent, any surprises with those two? No, I mean, Alante Taylor's, I mean, he's on several committees with the conference, and he is very well thought of by the, by the league, um, handles himself well. Um, you know, I, he, he made the most sense on defense. I, I thought that was the easiest decision. Offensively, you know, Bayless Jones got a good personality. He's a receiver and an offense that's going to throw it a lot, so he's obviously going to talk that offense up a great deal. Uh, I know some people had asked about Cade Mage, you know, what, you know, best offensive player in terms of draft potential. Why would you not take him? Uh, hey, I mean, Cade's fine with the media. I don't think that he was clamoring to put on a suit and fly down there and do that. Uh, and, and also, Georgia's going that day, so all the Georgia media is there. Um, if you're Tennessee, do you want a storyline from your from Josh Heupel's first trip there to be not about Josh Heupel joining the SEC as a head coach, 
but a lot of people asking, trying to get, you know, get more from Cade Mays about why he left Georgia 18 months ago and, and what all happened there. Cause he really hasn't done anything with any Georgia media since then. He, he just left. And so I, I think Tennessee felt like it probably wasn't real fair to put Cade Mays in that situation. And again, I think Velas Jones, because he's a receiver, is certainly going to paint Tennessee's offense in a very, very good picture because he's very excited about this offense. A couple of uh, heights and weights that jumped out to me that I want to ask you about. Now, I had a chance to meet Joe Milton uh, in person a couple weeks ago. 6'5", 244 uh, for the quarterback. And when I first saw him, Brent, I thought he was an edge rusher. Uh, looking mm-hmm. at him, look like guys should be on the defensive line. Um, did anything about that surprise you, jump out to you? Or did you when know I, going in he's a big kid? <laughs> well, I saw him at Tennessee summer camps. Uh, he was around campus, and um, I, I saw him in the complex one day and, and turned to somebody and said, you know, who's the defensive end working out over there? And they are like, no, that's quarterback. And I was like, oh, for real? Because he didn't have anything on it had his name and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. And, and so obviously a lot of people are, are looking at him and saying, hey, he, physically he looks like a lot like a Cam Newton looks. I don't know if he's going to play like that. But he is a large individual at the quarterback position who can throw it. Uh, now, the question is, can he pick up this offense? Can he throw it accurately? Uh, but from a physical standpoint, you won't see one look much better than he's gonna, than he looks, given that size. I mean, he is a large, athletic guy uh, who, who doesn't look like a quarterback. As you said, he looks like a defensive end. So two guys on defense I wanted to ask you about. The, the first one I thought was a misprint when I first read it, and this is at the official Tennessee site with, with the, the roster. Two in-state guys, Bryson Eason, who played his high school ball at Whitehaven in Memphis. He is listed at 6'3", 290 pounds, and a linebacker. I remember watching him in high school play middle linebacker, and I want to say he was 240 at the time playing middle linebacker. Big kid, especially for high school, playing middle linebacker. And Elijah Simmons from Pearl Cone in Nashville listed at 350. Brent, I know you've talked about weight and staying in shape being a big issue for him to seeing the field. What do you think about both those guys and their size? Well, I think for Elijah Simmons, 350 is too heavy. And um, I I think he's going to have a lot of tough days um, early in camp. Um, I'd like to see what that number looks like when camp starts as they're going through summer conditioning now. Um, does that number drop down a little, you know, some that they clearly, I don't think want him at 350, 350 pounds. Um, I, I don't think that he can play at his best carrying that weight. So how much can they get off of him? How much does he drop down? Uh, when was that, when was that weight done? I don't know the answer to that question. Um, I should have found out, but I, I don't know when though. I mean, were they done this week or is that another situation where that roster was completed for a while, and, and they waited and, and announced it this week. I don't know the answer to that. Um, but he's going to have to drop down. He, he's not going to be as effective as they want him to be at 350 pounds. And I know in talking to Rodney Garner back in the spring, getting him in better shape was, was a big-time priority. So we'll see where he's at uh, with, with the end of the summer conditioning program coming up here in another 12 days or so. Uh, Bryson Eason is a guy who's not going to play linebacker. Um, he's going to play on the outside and probably on third down, slide inside and play some. Uh, the quicker he allows himself to play inside, the quicker he allows himself to play with his hand on the ground all the time, the more he's going to see the field, in my opinion. Um, a lot of people in high school thought this was going to happen to him. He probably played 250 his senior year of high school. Um, and once he got in a weight room, once he got in a nutrition program, 
you know, the three meals a day and all those things. A lot of people felt like his frame, he was really going to enhance and, and get bigger. And um, I think he was about 280 in the spring, something like that, uh, and played off the edge and, and will play some inside. And, and that's where he's going to play is along the defensive line. And, and the faster he can adjust to that close quarter play, um, the better it is for Tennessee because they need bodies up there. And he's athletic enough to be a good player up front. Brent, just going a, a layer deeper on the strength and conditioning overall, with, with all the coaching changes over the years with the program, uh, turnover at that position specifically with that coach, there's always been a new mantra, a new theme, a slogan to whatever they're trying to accomplish. What's Hypels, and how eager are you just to see the, the difference in the strength and conditioning of this team and makeup versus what we've seen recently? Well, I'm probably jaded to that a little bit yeah. because, as you mentioned, there's been so many come through here, and we're going to go to Birmingham next week for SEC Media Day, and there's going to be 28 players there, and out of those 28 players who speak to the media, I would say 27 of them at some point in time in their media interviews will say, we've worked harder than we've ever worked this summer. Um, and, and that's just that, that's a mantra that's a given for everybody. So. Uh, proof is in the pudding. We'll, we'll see what this team looks like. We'll see where they are, um, you know, once fall camp opens and, and once we see them play on the field, um, you, you know, type thing. Uh, I think Josh Heupel's biggest thing off the field this season—it's a given. You got to get bigger and stronger. But I think his biggest theme has been about family, uh, has been about creating culture and relationship. That's that's why they this team has spent a good bit of time um, even this month doing some team things outside of the weight room, outside of conditioning. I mean, whether it's having dinner somewhere with a coach, whether it's guys playing golf, whether it's playing dodgeball, whether it's getting together to watch a movie in the complex, there's been a continued emphasis in trying to, uh, you know, enhance the relationships and the chemistry on this football team. I don't think you can sit here and, and say, everybody say, well, boy, Jeremy, Jeremy Pruitt just destroyed the chemistry on the team. And, you know, he didn't care about the kids. I, I don't think that's the case. Uh, but, but I think Josh Heupel is a, about that culture and the chemistry. I think because of COVID last year, we've talked about this, where guys had to grab their food box, leave the complex, couldn't see anybody, had to go to their apartment and basically hang out and do their homework and come back and do it again the next day. There's been a hey, let's reconnect with everybody. The freshman the freshman kids last year didn't get to know the team very well, and so I think that's been a big theme and point of emphasis since Josh Heupel arrived, and has continued throughout the summer, particularly this month. Tennessee gets another in-state commitment in Cam Miller, wide receiver out of Memphis. What'd you think about that one, Brent? Um, you know, big body kid uh, who plays wide receiver can play inside or outside. Uses his frame to to his ability. I think he's another guy that's going to be interesting to see kind of where his physical development goes once he gets into a, a program with, with all the bells and whistles, nutrition and weight room and all the things that you need that, that maybe he didn't have full access to at the high school there that he plays at in Memphis, which is a really small school uh, with limited facilities. Um, I think culturally he fits Tennessee. I think he's competitive um, the, the way that you want him to. Does he have great top-end speed? You know, that's probably the one thing that, that he's got to work on. But, but I think his upside uh, is pretty, pretty good because I don't think he has capped at, tapped out at all uh, in terms of his development physically. 
And, and if you're Josh Heupel and you're talking about Tennessee takeover and you're talking about recruiting the state of Tennessee, you got to get some of these Tennessee guys. And, and getting Cam Miller from Memphis, I think, was important and I think a solid get for Josh Heupel. I, I like him as a player. I like him as a person, having spent some time with him. Really good guy. Brent, we're going to talk a lot about upside with these guys because uh, Tennessee not faring that well in the overall rankings, but that's just the reality when you're dealing with an NCAA investigation as well and a late start. But Mo Clipper has a terrific name uh, for any athlete, <laughs> and uh, t- Tennessee staff seems to really think he's got terrific upside also. What is Tennessee getting in this offensive line prospect? Well, I mean, Mo, Mo Clipper is a great name. I'm not sure it's better than Squirrel White, but Mo Clipper's <laughs> a really good name for sure. Uh, you know, I think Mo's a guy who who he does not have to come in and put on 30 pounds or 35 pounds to be able to play. Uh, physically, he's got the tools that you want. He he's probably needs to finish blocks a little better, probably needs to have a little better nasty disposition, if you will, um, as a part of the development of his game. Uh, but, you know, here's a guy that was on everybody's board, camped well at Alabama, Alabama offered early. Was he a take at Alabama? That's always debatable and all those things. But he's a guy that Alabama liked, Virginia Tech, Tennessee. Had a really good visit up here, came up unofficially during the spring, came back with his family officially. And I think Tennessee feels like they got a guy that they can kind of anchor in and, and can settle in and can play there for, for a long, long time. And um, somebody compared him the other day to me to Ramon Foster. I don't, I don't know if that's accurate or not, but Ramon Foster was not a four- or five-star guy coming out of Ripley, Tennessee, but he was just a really good football player who played a long time, both in college, obviously, and then in the NFL with the Steelers. And if this, you know, if Mo Clipper's that kind of player, then I think Tennessee's got themselves you know, a, a really good player. In a year, you're going to take four or five offensive linemen. I think Mo Clipper's a really good get for Tennessee. Inside guy all the way. Brent, what, what's the real expectation for new season tickets sold by the athletic department for football? I know they have the Give My All website where the goal is 20000 They're They're at 16% of that right now. Uh, where do they actually want to be? If they sell 20, that's excellent. What's the, what's the realistic expectation this offseason with all the turnover? Well, I, you know, what's interesting about some of that is you got some of that deferred money from a year ago for people who um, did not take tickets. They deferred their donation to this year. So where does that percentage all factor in? How is Tennessee determining that percentage number? Is you know you can you can do math however you want to do math. I guess um, you know I think Tennessee would love and, and wants and needs to get back to over you know, 60,000 season tickets sold, I don't think they're going to get there this year. I mean, we've seen Tennessee come out and offer single-game ticket sales and the mini packs and all of those things. So, um, you know, if Tennessee is if Tennessee is somewhere between 55 and 60,000 season tickets sold, I'd say that's a pretty good year in season ticket sales. We'll see if they can get to that number. Um, I, don't, I don't know that they can uh, with all the turnover that's taking place. And, again, um, Everybody says they're going to be at 100% capacity. I think that's going to be the case, but you're seeing, you're hearing all this talk about, you know, spikes and numbers rising and all that. Does that, does that defer some people? Does people say, you know what, I'm not going to get in crowds in the fall, or, or is that not a factor at all? We'll have to see about that. And, and people got used to not going to games last year. So, you know, how many people are going to go, eh, I don't know that I, I want to go and buy season tickets. Let's wait and see what Josh Heupel does. So it's a tough sell right now for Tennessee. I think, again, if they're between 55 and 60, 
I think Tennessee would consider that a pretty doggone good year in season ticket sales. You know the VolQuest Power Hour is popular, and especially Brent Hobbs, because Brent always gets questions from our audience, and I've got a couple of them to close out his segment here. Joe in Nashville, Brent, wants to know, what is Josh Heupel's stance on black uniforms in Tennessee? And I guess specifically um, a third uniform for Tennessee, and maybe this is also a Danny White question and 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 how he stands with this. Well, and here's the thing. I mean, if you go look at Central Florida, Central Florida had a third uniform. It was called their NASA uniform. It was in honor of, of, of something with, with the space program that they did. Um, I, I think you will see Tennessee with some type of third uniform. Here's the thing with Nike. Okay, Typically with Nike, if you're going to do an alternative, alternative uniform, you, you don't call in July and say, hey, we need stuff this fall. It's a year in advance. Okay. And so there was a lot of discussion about black uniforms being ordered a year ago, which would have been under the previous coaching staff's doing. Um, now, I don't know that those exist. I know that the Vol shop and some of the retailers are selling a black Nike um, jersey. And it's, it, it's, an, it's a, an official looking jersey. It's got the Nike patch at the bottom, and it's got an orange swoosh, and it's got orange numbers. So if Tennessee rolls out in black uniforms this fall, I will not be surprised at all. Um, I, I think that's certainly a possibility. I think the question is, what is their helmets going to look like? Are they going to do some kind of alternative helmet to go with a uniform or not? Um, there's been rumblings of that. I haven't seen one, but I can't say that there's not one either. And Chad on Twitter wants to know about Luther Richardson, uh, quarterback, from Lipscomb Academy uh, here in Nashville. Brent, this is an interesting case because there's something just not lining up with this kid. I think he's the 56th ranked quarterback in the country, but yet he goes to the Elite 11 and stars. He either won it or was in the final of the Elite 11. He's got the pedigree. He's playing for Trent Dilfer at Lipscomb Academy. His dad is a longtime college strength coach. They moved from Colorado to Nashville specifically to play for Trent Dilfer, and I'm looking at his uh, offer list, and it's Appalachian State and Central Michigan in schools of that caliber. Something's not lining up. I know Tennessee's got a quarterback committed in this class. Mm -hmm. You can tell us more about him also, but what are you hearing on Luther Richardson and and this Tennessee staff? Uh, I'm not hearing a lot with Tennessee and Luther Richardson. I mean, because Tennessee's got uh, Tavon Jackson, and I think they're very comfortable where they are with a quarterback in this class. I don't think they're going to take two in this class. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't think that, that Luther is going to be a part of Tennessee's class. When I visited with Luther and, and with Trent Dilfer um, back, I don't know, six weeks ago, maybe eight weeks ago, something like that, Cincinnati was a school that he was very high on. And, and he, you know, he, he liked the coaches at Cincinnati, and he was going to go up and, and see them at Cincinnati. I don't know what happened. I, I've not followed it from there because Tennessee's not been involved with him. Big kid, throws it. Um, Trent Difford tells me, you know, on the board, he's as good as anybody you'll see. I think one of the things with Luther is he did not camp, you know, because there was no camps a year ago and he didn't camp early in his career. He didn't get on a lot of radars. And so what happens is so many quarterbacks are coming off the board so fast and schools are only taking one quarterback in their class because you can't really sign two quarterbacks. And so he's a little bit late to the party because of that and a lot of power five schools are already done at the quarterback position that probably works against him 
and visiting with him and sizing him up and talking to Coach Diffler about him, wherever he lands, I think somebody's getting a good player because I think he can throw it. He's got the measurables, as you mentioned. Um, Trent Diffler tells me he knows the game in and out. And um, I, I think he's a byproduct of not having camps a year ago and probably not being on the seven-on-seven camp everywhere circuit from the time he was in the eighth grade uh, moving forward. I don't think that's something that he did a lot of, and that probably has hurt his name getting out there in the recruiting circles. Well, just to take it a step further, in calling his game last year, uh, he had just moved to more of a pocket style with Dilfer. Now, he can move, but prior to last year, he was a safety and he was a Wildcat quarterback prior to playing at Lipscomb. So that coupled with, Brent, what you're saying, the COVID year, Teams made decisions on guys they knew, and they're still trying to learn what quarterback he is at the next level. The Elite 11 helps him great, a great deal, and so does his relationship with Dilfer. But th- th- you're right. There's a reason why the, the Power Fives aren't knocking on his door yet, because they've already made their here's call. The th- yeah, here's the thing with Luther that's really interesting, and, and I know we're about out of time, that, that, that he's going to have to make, and, and Coach Dilfer is going to have to help him through. Do you commit somewhere, and that's it, or do you – say, you know, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play for more offers, so to speak. And does he find himself in a much better situation with a Power 5 school come the wintertime as a very late bloomer when an offensive coordinator gets a head job somewhere? Or a new coach rolls in, looks at his roster and says, hey, well, they don't have a quarterback on this roster that fits me. Hey, this high school kid's available. I like him. Is he better than any transfer kid I can get out there? I think there's some an interesting, some interesting decisions that that Luther and his family are going to have to make in, in terms of how they play the recruiting game as a late bloomer because late blooming quarterbacks just don't come around very often. Brent, thank you as always. Have a great weekend. Get back to the farm, and we will catch up next week. You and Austin will be with us as we we preview camp and and everything surrounding the news of the SEC. Enjoy. Yep, should be should be fun next week. SEC Media Days will be over, and we'll be a week away from football practice. That's right. Here we go. Can't wait. Right, guys. Thank you, Brent. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Brent. Brent Hubs of VolQuest.com. Coming up, we're going to make it rain with Jacob Swanson's parlay. We're going to make. We're going to win some money this weekend. The Braves made a trade, and the rivalry continues between Kepka and DeChambeau. That's all straight ahead on Outkick 360. Well, we didn't win money last night, but we didn't lose either. Time for the daily parlay. Our Yankees-Red Sox game postponed due to COVID. So it's back on Jakob Swanson. He brings another parlay for tonight that we're excited about because it's high odds. Chance to win big on the Nationals tonight. Money line for the Nationals. Under nine total runs as they take on the Padres. Sterling Castro to record a hit. He thinks we're going to have a draw in the in the first inning. Hey, if Jakob says that, that's what's going to happen. And Chris Paddock, over four and a half strikeouts. If it all hits, a $5 wager wins you $83.36. Fayaduel.com slash OK360. That's where you can place your first bet. That's where you can join us. You place your first bet, and you get 30 to 1 odds on the NBA Finals, for instance. You can pick the Bucks or the Suns. 30 to 1 odds. A $5 bet wins you $150. Uh, and it, it, it's on either team, no matter the odds going into tomorrow night's game. FanDuel.com slash OK360. 
Titans training camp uh, news is out. It's not news for you. It's news for me. 16 open training camp practices to the media, including two in Tampa Bay. Nothing for fans. Nissan Stadium, they can't, uh, can't pull anything off because of Garth Brooks, because of NSC, because of the IndyCar race. Uh, high schools, they can't pull off because of COVID protocols. And construction going on, continuing uh, at the facility with the new building. No practices for fans. I don't suspect they're very upset about it. The rivalry continues between Kepka and DeChambeau uh, at the British Open. Here is uh, just a snippet, a, a screenshot of what he said post round today. Drive the ball great. Love my driver. Uh, this is after uh, Cobra and DeChambeau got after it yesterday uh, with uh, DeChambeau's driver. Uh, it's a classic troll job by Brooks Kepka who remains atop uh, near the leaderboard, but it's Louis Oosthuizen, as we wrap up today's show over the last two hours, that has really come on. Uh, he's ahead by three strokes as we go at, towards the end of round number two. Big trade for the Atlanta By the Braves way, I love, I, I watched the video of Kepka doing that. The yeah. best part of the statement is, you, you know when like a, a cute statement pops in your head and you want to yeah. make it, oh, you but it. you're trying, it's like a little kid holding Hold on to back. a secret. He's trying not to laugh outwardly. He's got like a little <laughs> half grin as he's talking about loving his driver. That was the best part of it. Yeah, Jock Peterson, uh, now an Atlanta Brave. Look, they've got no corner outfielders. They're basically platooning the entire outfield, and they've got Gil Heredia as their starting center fielder. So they're not very good in that spot either. So it makes sense from a roster standpoint this year. It's a move by a team that's not ready to concede yet. And I'm not so sure they should not be ready to concede at this point. Can I know they're center? four games back. He can play center, but he's more than likely going to plug into right or left. So he's played a lot of center field, but he can play e either spot. Cunha was playing right field. He's out. Uh, they've got a platoon system in the other spot. The Cubs are conceding. The Cubs lost 11 straight games recently. Their record is very similar to the Braves, but they've been sliding as of late. This is the Braves saying they still have a shot to win the division. While mathematically I agree, I'm not so sure this isn't a team that should concede where they are this season, trade away a couple of expiring contracts to contenders, even with their starting pitchers, and get some prospects in return, because recently their farm system's been depleted a little bit more than usual, get some prospects in return, and await next season when Acuna comes back, when you hope Soroka's back and healthy, when you get some guys coming back, the core of that team is back, trade that way and not become a buyer at this point in the season. Does this mean the Cubs are finding a spot for Chris Bryant by trading Peterson? Or is this the Cubs selling off? I think the Cubs are selling off. I, I think this move says a lot about both teams right now. The Braves are not willing to give up. They feel like they have a shot to win the division. And the Cubs are saying, we're not going to win the division. I think they're a game and a half behind the Braves in the wild card. <laughs> even though the Braves aren't, close, aren't in the wild card spot right now. So in the standings, they're right there, Cubs and Braves. 11-game losing streak will help you make this. Yeah, they've lost, I think, yeah. uh, 13 of their last 15 with that 11-game losing streak. That helps you yep. decide. And Bryant's just the utility player right now. It's just moving all over the place, waiting to be traded. Crazy. That was the best interview at the All-Star game, was him His and the father outfield mic'd up. Uh, Did what you he see said? that? His father was pissed about them asking him those questions. He handled it per. I thought he improved his stock by what he said. I missed it. What did he say? 
He was just like, look, I'm willing to play any position that the Cubs want me to play. I love my time in Chicago. I hope to remain there. Uh, then they, they followed up by asking him where he wanted to play. You want to stay? At, you want to move the third? Uh, do you want to move around the outfield? He goes, I want to play center field. Put me in center field. Hmm. So, I mean, I, I, I love the, the interview because you actually got some substance with it instead of, you know, uh, fastball. Political talk. Yeah. 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 Softball. When the guys are fastball, ready to talk, fastball, fastball curveball. Freddie Freeman was the same way. He was willing to talk and chat it up while he yeah. was playing first base, and he talked all about Otani and gave some real good insight on how he just feels like he doesn't understand how Otani's doing it as a starting right. pitcher because he said the amount of prep work these starting pitchers will do with a game plan, and then to completely take that hat off and then go in and like, oh, now I got to go get my guy some runs, you know, and then go up and batting and then try to remember what you researched in the pitcher is. It's amazing to watch, and uh, Freddie Freeman's in awe of it. Otani shows, just on that one snippet, one element of that that we haven't covered, that we, uh, we have put limitations on guys that don't necessarily need to be put on limitations. I like that a high school kid now, he might not be able to fulfill it, but you know there are plenty of high school kids, the best kids on their team, who are the ace pitcher and the best hitter. And at least now, as a, as a high school junior, you could dream of doing that after you get drafted. You're probably not going to be allowed, but maybe Otani opens the door for a kid like that to say when he's getting drafted out of high school, you know, I'd like to pursue it. Enjoy the Open. Enjoy the NBA Finals tomorrow night. We are back to recap the sports weekend on Monday. Huge thanks to Becca Risley, Sleepy Danny, for making it happen down the hall at Blackbird Studio. Sarah Triplett, our production assistant. Uh, Lance Lee, Jacob Swans, and David Reed, the chairman of the board. Chat on Monday across the OutKick Network. Spend the weekend not blocking the box and locking the locks. Say it. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to OutKick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.